0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, let's do this. Um, this morning, I talked to you about the, what we're going to be getting into is we're going to learn from God's Word what not to do with power and wealth. The truth is, out of 7.1 billion people in the world, by the world's standards, you are very, very wealthy. If you have food in your fridge, according to the world's standards, you're very wealthy. If you have clothes on your back, you're very wealthy. If you have more than one pair of shoes, by the world's standards, you're very wealthy. I heard one dad, uh, a husband laugh. I'm sure he was thinking, my wife's got like a hundred pair of shoes, in the closet. Um, if you have a roof over your head and a place to sleep each night, you're wealthier than 75% of the world. So, you know, this summer, we're taking a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. If you're interested, last-minute opportunity, you can talk to um, Corey Batorski. He's leading up the trip, but the trip's going. Everything's going good. Those kids are by the world's standards, poor. They don't have a roof over their head. They don't have shoes. They don't know where they're gonna get their next meal. Those kids are poor. And what James is gonna do this morning is he's gonna help us understand that when you have wealth and you misuse it against or hurting the poor, you better look out. You're gonna be in big, big trouble. James is the brother of Jesus, also known as James the Just. James cares for the poor and needy, just like Jesus. And today, we're going to see that James calls out the biggest bully of them all, the people I would call the snobnoxious. It's a combination between being a snob and incredibly obnoxious. And you and I, honestly got a little bit of a snobnoxious attitude in us. And I'll start with me first. I can be a snob when it comes to computer technology. I'm an Apple snob. I don't like PC. I like Apple. And I don't want any PC products. I want all Apple products. When it comes to coffee, I want good coffee. I don't want watered-down coffee. I don't care if it's Starbucks or Elevate. I'll take either or. I'm not loyal to the brand. I'm loyal to the taste. I want it to taste really, really good, and if you serve me bad coffee, I'm going to tell you about it. <laughs> I'm kind of a snob when it comes to food, too. I'm what you call a foodie. I, You know, my wife's into it, so, you know, when we were... Uh, Dallas Seminary, she got into pampered chef, and she learned how to cook like, I don't know, like uh, what's that girl's name Ray? Uh, Rachel Ray. I'm like, "Hey, girl, you just keep learning from Rachel, baby. That's sweet." She got all the pampered chef products, and the kitchen food started getting really good, and all of a sudden I found myself I'm in a, an elite group called the Foodies of the World. I'm also a snob when it comes to adventure. I love adventure. I've done a lot. I was a mountain guide in Colorado. I was a river rafting guide in class three, four, and five whitewater. I did mountaineering for big mountains, the 14ers, the Collegiate Peaks, Buena Vista, Colorado. Those were my backyard. I spent uh, five summers back there, and most of those summers I was in the backcountry. So I could go totally rugged. So if, you know, if there was like a takeover or whatever, just follow me. We'll go to the mountains. I got gotcha. We'll be fine. Um, So I'm an adventure snob. Leslie's going on a a a backpacking trip up Mount Humphreys and up in Flagstaff, or or not backpacking, just a day hike. And she's taking some of the girls with her, uh, the staff team girls, and uh, she said I was telling her all about what to do and what not to do as a former guide. And she goes, you seem so excited about this. Why have you never done it? I said, because it's not 14,000 foot. That is such a snobby adventure response. I didn't even notice it. I didn't even notice it. Recently, I went on a uh, fishing trip. A guy invited me from Scottsdale Bible Church. Love those guys over at Scottsdale. Um, said, hey, Ryan, you want to go on a fishing trip? I said, man, I'd love to. Great. He says, okay, this is a big day. We're going to go to Lee's Ferry. We're going to go down the Colorado. We're going to catch trout. I'm like, okay, just need to let you know, like, you know, I've kind of gone fishing before, you know, and I'm kind of like an old fly fisher guide. He's like, ooh. So I'm like, all right, so we're going to go. Well, we go. Well, the bummer is, is just a couple months before the trip, my dad called me and said, hey, we're organizing a big fly fishing trip down in Little Rock and uh, right outside of Little Rock on the Red River where the world record trout was caught. And so I go, and I'm going to get the opportunity to go fly fishing with the world-class fly fish Boy, that's a tongue full. The world-class fly fisherman. Chuck Farneth, won all sorts of ESPN contests. I go fly fishing. I catch more than 100 trout on a fly rod in one day. I, I, I fell into the water early in the morning got hypothermic. I didn't care. I didn't care. I'm going to catch fish all day long. So I got that under my belt. And then I get the phone call. We're going fishing in Arizona. So I'm like, all right. So go, go to the, uh, and I'll get there. Well, I'll I'll move. I'll get there. Don't worry. I'm getting there. Those of you guys are anxious about this. So I get the phone call, go on this awesome fly fishing trip. I've been looking forward to in Arizona called my dad and told him. My dad tried to temper me because he knows I'm an adventure snob. and goes, son, sometimes you just don't catch fish out there in the west like you do in the south. So you need to temper your expectations. I was like, no, dad, it's going to be awesome. We go. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. We can't make it to Lee's Ferry. I'm like, what? Where are we going? So we go to this little podunk little pond. And we spend the weekend trying to catch fish. There is not a fish around. And what makes matters worse, we we get in this tent and it's like a three vestibule tent, like three rooms. This guy takes off his shoes and his toes are near my face. And I yell out, oh my Lordy, what is that? Total snob noxious. The guy goes, oh, I'm sorry. I have some bad foot deal. In. I was like, well, man, those stink. Put them out of the tent. Go home, Leslie says. How was the trip? I'm like, I think I was a total jerk on the trip. So here's the deal. You got a little snob in you too, okay? We're going to be looking at that together, and in God's Word, we're going to realize that James is going to really be challenging this snobnoxious attitude And it's one thing to be an adventure snob or just think of yourself a little bit better, but it's a totally another thing to think of yourself so much better that you would actually hurt other people to elevate your own status. And that's exactly what the wealthy landowners, rich people of James's day are doing. They're profiting and progressing their business and their personal livelihood at the expense of people. And God as a protector, God as a lover of people, and James as the big brother of Jesus who was called James the Just, sees the injustice and calls it out. So let's do this. Let's stand together in God's Word. And we're gonna, I'm going to read God's Word, and then I'll explain to you, I'll give you four characteristics of these folks that James is going to be calling out. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire." You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages, the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived in, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and you've murdered the righteous person, And he did not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Lord, I pray, God, that we would see in our own hearts an evidence of pride or better than other attitude, and God, we'd surrender that to you in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that as we look at your word, that we would see the characteristics of these people that are taking advantage of others and seeing themselves better, and, God, we would learn what not to do. In Christ's name we pray. Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Four characteristics of snobnoxious people. If you want to know where that word was invented, you're going to have to ask my little boy, Sam. Sam we invent words at our house. That's what we do. (laughs) Four characteristics of snobnoxious people. Come now, verse one, come now, you rich, weep, howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. James acts like a father, and he says, come here right now. You ever heard that before? When somebody's in trouble, come here now. That's what James does, and he says, you, you're going to have to weep, how for the miseries that are coming upon you. James has got such a ferocious attitude and commitment to eradicate injustice that he doesn't see this as a good idea. He sees the wealthy and the powerful that are taking advantage of the poor. He sees them like a wolf. And James is like the shepherd who carries a stick. And he's going to play whack-a-wolf. There's three kinds of people in the world. Choose what you want to be, a shepherd, a wolf, or a sheep. The more you grow at North Valley, we're going to teach you how to be a shepherd and care for people. The other day I was at Elevate after church, sitting there, and this girl who was obviously handicapped, she couldn't walk straight, and she walked incredibly distracting for everybody around, and the mother put her arm around her, this disfigured, disabled child, and they walked to the movie theater. And I had my sunglasses on, and I'm glad I did because I started to cry. And I put my arm around my son, and I said, you see that, Mom? Do you see that? She loves her child. And then I said, Sam, will you make a promise to me that when you see those kids, if they ever get bullied, you be the shepherd. You attack the wolf. Uh, You say, Ryan, your parenting is (laughs) weird. I don't care. I think we should protect the poor, the needy, the hurt. That's our job. I was a jerk before I came to know Jesus. And every single person I see like that, now there's a different heart in me that makes me want to say, hey, someone's hurting somebody, come here right now. I'm going to make you weep. I'm going to make you howl. I'm going to make you feel misery. James is the just. Weep means to cry, to call. Call the ambulance if you need to. You guys got to wake up, man. You can go hit that coffee. If it's not any good, just tell Tristan. He's in charge of guest services. How? He says, how? You better moan like a dog. You're taking advantage of the poor. You're hurting them. Misery. It's going to get worse. He says, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, and your gold and silver have corroded. Riches means platos in the Greek. It means any kind of wealth. The word is used in other parts of the Bible where wealth isolates it brings a false sense of security and it produces greed. Be careful, those of you who really want to be uber rich in the world. I know some of the wealthiest people in the state of Arizona, and they would argue that it's not the most glamorous, happy life that you could imagine. In fact, they would tell you that wealth tends to isolate them from other people. James tells us three things that went wrong with the snobnoxious people, their wealth. He says, riches have rotted, garments are moth-eaten, and gold and silver have corroded. Riches rotted means the riches in those days would have been anything from meats, fruits, grains, and James says they've rotted. If you leave food out too long, it's gonna rot. If you build up a surplus of food, it's gonna rot. If you're not using it, It's going to rot. I thought it was pretty cool the other day. I saw that Starbucks is doing this new thing. Have you seen that? Where they're getting the food and they're distributing it so that they don't waste it. And they're getting it out to other people and local agencies around. And it's, it's, Lord willing, it's going to be this uh, progressive program for other corporate entities to do around the country and the world to make better usage of their food and to um, be stewards He says, garments are moth-eaten. That would have been clothes, robes, tunics, dresses. Oftentimes in that society, it would have been very popular to receive these beautiful robes, and each would be embroidered with different uh, beads and fine metals and whatnot, and they would be handed down from generation to generation. And James says, it does no good if you just store them up. I can imagine James would be talking to the wealthy people who had lots of clothes and seeing the poor and saying, you've got a lot. Why don't we share a little? You look at your closet, things filled up. How many of those things do you actually wear? Do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Go to goodwill. Give half of it away. Give it away. If you don't need it, it's going to get used up. It's going to get rotted and destroyed or you'll just get bigger, and it won't fit in time. I told my wife the other day, I said, quit buying me skinny jeans. I said, this year, I've made a rule. No buying Ryan skinny jeans, okay? She said, baby, we're going to have to get you on a little diet. I said, no, no, no. Gold and silver corroded jewelries, coins, First characteristic of snobnoxious people is they hoard lots of stuff. My grandmother was a hoarder. Wonderful woman, but boy, move the cars out of the garage. We need more space for stuff. Man, and as a little kid growing up, we'd go down to Dallas We'd open those garage and we would just play with all the stuff, all the garments, all the clothes, all the stuff. And she had good intentions. The idea was eventually maybe they'd open up an antique shop. That would have been a good idea. They would have had plenty of stuff for an antique shop. Unfortunately, four decades later, the antique shop never came to realization. But with the people that... James is talking about, they're not just doing what my grandma did, was finding knickknacks and going to antique shops and buying stuff and storing it up. There's nothing wrong with that if you've got a purpose and a plan. These people have no agenda other than to feed their selfishness and their self-indulgence. Meanwhile, people around them are crying out for help. James says, there's a problem. Their corrosion will be evidenced against you, He says, In other words, there's a judge. His name is Jesus. He will judge you for everything that you have. And when you're not using it and you're not stewarding it and it just sits there, it rots, it corrodes, the garments are moth-eaten, that's the testimony. You hadn't done jack with your stuff. You used it for yourself. He says that's the evidence that's against you. The corrosive stuff, he says, will eat your flesh like fire. That doesn't sound fun, does it? He says, you've laid up treasures in the last days. James is warning about the eternal torment in hell that will happen to anyone that makes their God gold, or their God, their stuff, their Savior, or their money, their master, James is echoing Jesus' teaching to say, if money is your master, you don't know Christ. If gold is your God, then you don't know God. If stuff is your Savior, you don't know the Savior. You ever seen Lord of the Rings? Schmegel. He's that hobbit that finds the ring. Of gold and he falls in love with it. He calls it his what? He ends up killing his little hobbit buddy and over it he, he feels guilty and he runs into a cave and he hides there in the cave and he turns from a hobbit to a hideous beast. That's exactly what money will do if you make it your master. You will turn hideous. If gold is your God, you'll, you'll end up like Schmiegel. We went to Flagstaff not too long ago, and uh, you ever been to those lava tubes? We were in those lava tubes. Don't worry, guys, those of you that don't understand, uh, but the lava wasn't flowing, you know. <laughs> they were empty. And uh, we were in those lava tubes, and I pretended I was Schmiegel. And and my kids are like running around in in there, and I could see the light peering down, and I said, (laughs) Precious! And my kids start running around, "Ah, Mom, Schmeagle's here! (gasps) Hoarding is a sign of greed, it's not a sign of generosity. I told you recently that as Christians, let's live countercultural. Let's live different. That's what James is calling you to do. Let's kill greed. How do you kill it? You be generous. Hoarding is a sign of carnality, of your fleshliness. It's not a sign of your Christianity. Hoarding is a sign that there's something wrong on the inside. You're trying to get your needs met with stuff, and the only one that can meet your needs is the Savior. Jesus taught on the correct usage of wealth. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But do this, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, Jesus said. So how do you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? You give, you serve. Yesterday, I received an email from my old Sunday school teacher, bless his heart, because he put up with Ryan when he was a a punk little kid, and uh, he's been investing in the ministry at North Valley for some years. He gives $2,000 a month. He's an oral surgeon, and that's above and beyond his regular tithes and offerings at his local church. And he hit his uh, four year or five almost five year commitment to myself and my family and this church. And I called to, to tell him, Hey, thanks for, for doing this. Um, I want to pre- appreciate you so much. And uh, if you. You've done it. I just spent time praising him and giving him thanks. I said, if you choose to stay on, I'd love to talk to you about strategic opportunities. This next year is going to be really a transitional year for the life of North Valley. We are in a movie theater, we're paying rent there, and we've taken on a mortgage. Your money could be used. And he shot me an email right back and goes, Hey, Ryan, you guys use the money however you choose to. I love serving and I love giving. I'm happy to be a part of this as long as, Lord willing, God will enable me with my wealth. How do you fight greed? Be generous. Number two, second characteristic of snobnoxious people is they. you'll see that snobnoxious people take advantage of others. Verse four, behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, meaning they did the work, but look what it says which you kept back by fraud. What makes it fraudulent is that somebody did the work and somebody is not getting paid. James is drawing attention to a scandalous practice of the rich against the poor. It's not just withholding wages. It's even stealing from them. Why is that so important to pay the laborers? In Deuteronomy... God's word says, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. God's word always protects the powerless. God's love, God's fatherly, shepherding, powerful character, Nature is that he loves his people, and he gets turned over backwards to see injustice. These people were fraudsters. These snobnoxious wealthy people were fraudsters. They kept money that they should have been paid. You ever heard of a guy by the name of Bernie Madoff? Probably one of the story of the biggest fraudsters ever to ever touch American history. He kept back millions and millions of dollars, created this entire Ponzi scheme to take people's money, and today he's in prison. And as a result, he and his family have been labeled America's greatest fraudsters. His son uh, ended up committing suicide just two years after Bernie was locked up. We get this idea that if we have more, we'll be happy. But when money is our master and gold is our God, we're going to find out that we turn into this hideous, schmiegel like heart that is absolutely, to God and to others, snobnoxious, completely offensive. James says... God hears the cry of the injustice. He says, they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That phrase, Lord of hosts, is a title emphasizing God's all-encompassing reign over every physical and spiritual power in creation. It occurs 240 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. The third characteristic that we're going to see of snubnoxious people is that they overindulge themselves. Verse 5, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Here's what you've done. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Three things I want to point out to you. Number one is self-indulgence. Self-indulgence isn't always bad, but if it defrauds the poor or it violates your own body, meaning overeating or over-drinking, to the point of drunkenness, as these folks were doing, it's wrong. We're overeating to the point of gluttony. It's wrong. He says, you fattened your heart. Means It literally means that you stuffed or you force-fed yourself like an animal. So a pretty, pretty hideous description. Remember when I told you when money is your master, when gold is your God, or stuff is your Savior? you end up looking like a fool, a hideous, shmeagol-like creature. James illustrates this with the idea of a pig that would be fed in over and over, almost to the point of force-feeding an animal to get it big for the day of slaughter. Growing up in Arkansas in a wealthy family, I remember my sister, she wanted a, one of those little Vietnamese pot belly pigs. You ever seen one of those things? They've got commercials on these things now, like it's a good alternative to a dog. Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't waste your time on those things. She got one and she took it and uh, she just let the thing, here's what she named it Ariel. That just gives the dating of that, okay? Little mermaid. Ariel, the pig. Ariel was supposed to be like this sweet little pink beautiful little pig that we take on walks and we cuddle and it's this alternative to a dog. Well, Ariel had no boundaries on food. Ariel was overly indulgent. We had what we called automatic dog feeders there at the rice ranch and we don't feed our dogs. We just pour the 40 pound bag into all the feeders. We let the dogs eat whenever they want. And country dogs don't overeat because they're busy chasing whatever else they want, you know, coyotes, whatever. So Ariel, she's not interested in chasing a coyote. She's interested in dog food. So she would break out of the house and she'd just empty a 40-pound dog feeder Little Ariel turned from this cute little sweet pig to this fat, overgrown, terrible, disgusting, hideous creature we pretended was a Vietnamese pot belly pig. The thing got so big, one day I walked downstairs and I said, call the vet. Something's hanging out the backside of Ariel and it looks like her gut's. bad visual picture. She ate so much, her intestines came out the backside. James says this. Hey, he says this. The snobnoxious, they're overindulgent. They indulge to the point that it hurts others, it hurts themselves. They fattened your heart's When you take money as your master, stuff as your savior, gold as your God, and you feed that monster of greed, it fattens your heart so it's so hideous. You don't want to look at it. You don't want to think about it. And that's why so many people wind up in deep levels of depression, anguish, and misery. And James warns against this. And we act like the Bible doesn't have relevancy sometimes upon our lives. And I would slap your face with the Bible to tell you this thing is incredibly relevant. Some of you are not coming back to church. (laughs) Well, we have a growth problem anyway. No, I love you. I love you. God loves you. God hates greed. God hates it when people take advantage of other people, and he's giving you a visual picture of how horrendous it is when you make gold your God. Seven ways to not overindulge. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Incredible passage for the wealthy. Let me hear Let me. Let me Hear me when I say this. God's word does not advocate a poverty theology. God loves the rich. God loves the poor. God loves people. But if you use your power and your wealth to beat down others, to elevate yourselves, God has a massive problem with you. So how do you handle wealth? How do you handle your riches? And please hear me on this. Don't sit there and say, I'm not rich. Excuse me. By the world standards you are. Please go on a mission trip. Please see the kids that have nothing. How do you not overindulge? The Apostle Paul taught Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, teach him this. Teach those who are rich in this world seven things. Look there in your program. Don't be proud. Teach them not to be proud about their stuff. In other words, teach them to be humble, that God's good, that God gives some more stuff with more responsibility to use their stuff. Teach them not to be proud. Secondly, he says, teach them not to trust in their money. Don't put your trust in your money. Don't make money your master. It's a terrible god. Money will always overpromise and underdeliver. Money can't heal your marriage. Money can't save your family. God can. You can't buy a woman enough diamond rings to get the deep sense of happiness that maybe you want. Do not trust in money. He says it's so unreliable. Number three, trust should be in God. Put your trust in God. That's where you ought to put your trust, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Ways not to overindulge. Fourth way, Paul teaches Timothy. Look there in your verse, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Tell them to use their money to do good. If you have a lot, use it for good. That's exactly what James was exhorting the wealthy of his day to do. And those who did not use their money to do good, they used it for themselves and their greed. James says, that's not obnoxious. It's terrible. Fifthly, or sixthly, he says, uh, Paul teaches Timothy, be generous to those in need. Seventh, Always be ready to share, parents. Don't we teach our kids this? Doesn't Elmo teach our kids this? Share, share, share like Elmo. It's so what, we, what we, you know, when Maya's wanting to be whole uh, on to stuff, I'm like, you know, I've said this before, but I'm like, we watch little Elmo and Elmo shares and teaching everybody to share. Sharing is a good thing. And if you have a lot of clothes, if you have a a big house, if you have a small house and you've got room and you've got stuff, let me ask you something. This week, here's your challenge. Will you take it and do two things with it? Give some of it away and share with anybody who has need. That will free your heart. That will strengthen your love for Christ, not your stuff that will bless people who really, really need it. If corporate America can do it, so can the church. If Starbucks comes up with the genius idea on how not to waste their food, I think we, the church, can be oh so creative to go, I don't want to waste a thing. I want to use it for good. Share. Let's look what else we're going to learn. The fourth thing. He's, the fourth characteristic of the snobnoxious would be this, is that they will do anything for more. We have a God of more in America. We have a God of more in every human heart. We want more. Look what he says in verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Condemned and murdered. They have not only murdered and hurt other people, but they've also condemned people others this would have been likely in a court proceeding where they could have spoken up and the judge unjustly sentenced a laborer to prison to die and to rot murdered two things happen when money is your god you will do anything for more of it schmeagel killed the hobbit bernie madoff's son killed himself it was all because of the god of greed. It's an evil thing. And these people are innocent. He says, "He does not resist you." In other words, these are the powerless. These are the orphans, these are the widows, these are the poor laborers that don't have representation. These are the immigrants. He they are powerless to protect themselves. And Jesus warns us about the power of money. Jesus taught that money would enslave you. Jesus taught that that we must reject gold as the God or stuff as the Savior. Matthew 6.24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't have both as your God. You've got to choose which one you want. Money means mammon. It means Beelzebub. It means the God of greed historically. And there's two choices that we have to choose on an active daily basis. Do we want to be enchanted by our stuff and fuel the need for more stuff Or do we want to be, oh, ever increasingly enamored and enchanted by our Savior? Generosity is the remedy of greed. That's the remedy. My challenge to you is this week is that you do do this. Give something away to somebody in need or share what you've got. Amen? And invite Ian and the worship team up, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is so practical, so helpful. God, and I pray for all that are here today in attendance, maybe those that are brand new, God, that they'd see the honesty and the integrity of your word. And God, here at the end of the day, there are areas for all of us to apply where we have been Prideful or negligent to help those in need. We pray, God, in this time of giving that we would give generously. Lord, we pray in the weeks ahead where there's opportunities to give or to share our resources with people in need. Would we do it, especially for those here being a part of North Valley? Lord, in doing so, Lord, we know that we reflect the love of Christ. And we pray, God, that we would learn what not to do, to hold, to guard, but to give and be generous. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.